Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the show, Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It is that time of the week, 4 o'clock Central, 5 o'clock if you're in Florida. It is time for Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk, which means all you do is send over your questions, and we do our very best to answer them. The text line is already open and waiting for your question, 877-933-2484. My panel today is Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn, gentlemen, welcome. Bill, it's always good to be here. Thank you. Good Thank afternoon, you. Bill. Thank you. So if you were uh, referred to as a Bible thumper, would that be considered a compliment? <laughs> it is a good thing. Yeah? Uh-huh. I what, have been called a Bible thumper a what couple What does that times. mean? Uh, it means you talk about the Bible a lot. And that's what we do here at Guy Talk. Right? Yeah. And you actually believe it. Yeah, we do. Yes. You defend it, right? Yes. 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 That is what, by the way, that's the word fundamentalist as well. Uh, if you've ever been called a, a Christian fundamentalist, all that mm-hmm. means is you believe in the fundamental truths of God's word, that the word of God is, wait for it, God's word. Mm-hmm. I've been called a Lutheran fundamentalist and the two never go together. <laughs> I love it. Have you ever been called a Jesus freak? I sure have all right. many, many times because the emphasis in the Bible is on Jesus. It's nowhere else. Mm-hmm. That might predate me a little bit. You're a little older than I am. Just a tiny bit. Yeah. I like it. I like it. So send your questions over. We're ready to take your questions, 877-933-2484. All right, here's our first question of the day. Good day, gentlemen. I love the manners, don't you? It's it's kind. I like that. All right. In the upper room discourse in John, Jesus starts teaching the disciples after Judas leaves. Is that teaching just for them at the time, or can we take some of that as teaching for followers today, or both? Who, me? I'll Go ahead, start. Jeff. I'll let um, you start. I'll yeah, jump in. Don't worry. You know, Second Timothy says that all Scripture is God-breathed user for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Now, the New Testament didn't actually exist yet uh, in total when that was written, so it was probably specifically referring to the Old Testament, but we can apply it to the New Testament as well. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for training in righteousness. You can go to the Old Testament and learn about the character of God. You can learn about the faithfulness of God. You can learn about how God prophesies events and is always 100% accurate. In the same way, the church can look to the Gospels and see about the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Christ. Um, I like to point out that whenever you are understanding a passage, that proper context is very important, and the context of the Gospels is during, is still under the law. Jesus was born under the law. He lived under the law. He died under the law. He taught to those under the law. Uh, Is the church in view in the Gospels? Well, sure it is. It's absolutely in view, and many of the things he teaches we can directly apply, but some of the things you have to understand that he was still a Jew teaching to those under the, the law um, and the church really started then in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came. But yes, uh, the teachings after Judas 
left. I mean, it's Jesus's high priestly prayer, for example, that says, I'm going to pray for those who come later, who don't see, who won't see the resurrection, but will come later and have to believe the testimony that's in this book. This summer, I have the privilege of teaching how to study the Bible in my church. And a couple of the principles that apply right here are very simple. Number one, look at the context. What is the context of the, the Bible talking about? What's the upper room? He's talking to his disciples. He's giving them direction, commands for the future. The second thing is when there is a command or an imperative in the New Testament, and you look at the context and you see how it's uh, there, that applies to us too. What he told the disciples in that upper room, I take seriously for my life today in 2023, and I want to apply it, and I want to put it to work, and I want to share that with others. So right after Jesus leaves, John 14, I just pulled up John 14, 1, for example, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. If I go there, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll certainly come back and take you to be where I am also. Yes, that applies to us. I actually believe that's a rapture passage, one of the first references to the rapture in Scripture. But the the exhortation to believe in God and to trust in Him is ac- absolutely for the world today. And I've been with so many people, as you know, Jeff and Bill, at the moment of death. And I have had Christians that did not know one another. They're from different churches. Tell me, Jesus is here in that last few moments. Now, not everybody. Some are in comas and they don't come out, but have told me over and over. So I agree with you about the rapture, but let's look at also this context that when we're on our deathbed and we believe our, we breathe our last breath, we're not going to be alone. Jesus himself in some form will be there and take us by the hand and walk us into the kingdom of God. And can you imagine, you know, the, the president of the United States or the king of England showing up, you know, at your last moments to escort you somewhere? We got something so much better. Mm. And so no Christian has all. to worry. The Lord will be there for you in one way or another. Keep going through John after Judas leaves, and it's the promised Holy Spirit. Well, yes, that's for us. Anybody who believes will receive the promised Holy Spirit. we got the vine and the branches. Whoever abides in him, he will bear much fruit. We talk about that often in, in a New Testament church kind of way. The more you abide in Christ, the more fruit he will bear in your life. So, yes, absolutely. Well, keep in mind that if the Holy Spirit didn't want us to apply this to our life and do it, he wouldn't put it in print for 2,000 years later. So we're supposed to put it to work and do it now. And that's the biggest thing I teach people. It is not enough to hear the Word of God. It is not enough to memorize the Word of God. you got to go do the Word of God. You actually go out from where you're at. You leave the church. You leave your home, wherever you go, and you apply the Word to people and to situations that you're involved in. All right. You are listening to Guy Talker, guys who talk. These guys get paid on a commission based on how many questions they answer. So we need lots of questions. And Tom is holding up his can of Diet Coke, which he understands is his payment. You're a smart I didn't man. know that. It Did is? you know that, Tom? That, that, I didn't well, know that. Yeah, I'm making this stuff up as I go. He broke that news to me a while back. <laughs> <laughs> you can send your question over. The text line is open, 877-933-2484. So, next question, gentlemen. I'm confused about why Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, but then later instructs us to pick up our cross and follow him. Pick up our cross, what, of suffering? Well, there are, two type, there are two types of burdens that we carry. One, and 90% of the burdens of my life are my own doing, my own mistakes, my own failures, my own attitudes, my own whatever it may be. Um, 
guilt and shame. It's interesting. I talked to millennials today. I asked them, they don't know about sin, but I say, tell me about your guilt and shame. And they have a lot to tell me. So we all carry that. Jesus comes to relieve that guilt and shame. But now he comes with a new burden. And the burden is when we follow him, we're going to be rejected by the world. The world will hate us. And we might wind up suffering and dying, but at least we're suffering and dying for something that's eternal, not something that's temporary. So it's both. But I'll tell you, once I got rid of that, all of that inside where I was so guilty and knew that Jesus loved me, it was amazing how it gave me a courage and a thankfulness now to live mm-hmm. for him. And I've been, I've been, we've all been persecuted, called names, laughed at, mocked. And you know what? And that's just since coming into the studio today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Sorry, it, I couldn't. That I was couldn't, good, Bill. I couldn't resist that. That was good. <laughs> but the truth of it is, that doesn't bother me anymore like it used to. I mean, I, I'm a human being. I don't like it. But it doesn't bother me mm-hmm. because if I'm trying to serve Jesus and represent him and speaking the truth and love, then I've got nothing to worry about whether I live or die. Mm-hmm. Just like someone calling you a Jesus freak. Or a Bible thumper, right? Yep, I love you know, it. You, you wear it as a badge of honor, right? Yeah. As the disciple said, I felt worthy for being persecuted for the name of Jesus. Yeah. And that's how we should see those things. You know that, that verse where it says, those who are weary and burdened. I mean, I, that, that is a call to the world. I, I think there's so much hurt in this world. You know, you talk to people, they have hurt in their relationships and their marriages with their children. And, and there's just so much hurt. And that, I think God knowing people and knowing their hearts wrote that verse specifically so that people could see, Hey, is this you? And I think a lot of people can identify with that. And then at the end of that verse, it says, and I will give you rest. And I think people can identify with that too. It's like, I want that rest. And I think that rest is that peace with God. When you believe in Christ and are saved, what what Paul writes in Hebrews, he says, uh, there is a Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. I think that this is a salvation rest. We rest from our own work. We rest in God. And that peace, that rest that only comes by knowing Christ as uh, your Savior, I think that's what it's talking about. Now, the pick up the cross part of the question, that appears to be kind of, opposite of having rest. I think the pick up the cross reference is not that this is going to be hard or difficult or, you know, you're going to have to labor because he says you rest from your own work. Mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a symbol of self-sacrifice. It's, a sim- it's kind of the Galatians 2.20 kind of picture. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me by his power. I think that's the picture there. It's so interesting because the uh, early Romans, talking about the people in the arena that were being killed because of their faith in Jesus, mm-hmm. they couldn't get over the joy that these mm-hmm. people had. I can't, I've not been there. I've never been in a situation where I thought I was going to die. Uh, but the goal is that when I get there and I have to carry that burden and maybe I do die, I want to go with joy. And that's what these people did. Mm-hmm. And I'm confident that will happen to us as well. Mm-hmm. Jeff, did you ever think you were going to die? Have you ever been at that point? Where you thought, oh, I might be dying right now? I don't think so. Okay. Well, you probably remember. I, I think I yeah, would. I think you would. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, a couple scary moments, but I, I don't know that I ever really thought I was going to die in that moment. Sure. What about you guys? I've been there twice. I've been there twice. Once I thought I was having a heart attack and I thought this is it. And then a tremendous peace came over me. And fortunately, it was heartburn. But, you know, it, at the moment, I thought this is it. I'm on my way out. 
I really did. And uh, and then I had my my life and my family threatened by a bunch of people in the Twin Cities. They were a group of uh, witches that didn't like the fact I was hiding a witch who had come to Christ. Oh, wow. And they would pull up in front of our house and just sit there and look at us. And it was, I got to admit, I was scared. I, yeah. I went through some fear. And then the Lord got me by that. And uh, I would pronounce the name of Jesus. I'd step out the door and say, Jesus loves you. And these people literally would drive away, and they'd finally quit coming. Yeah. And I I have done stand-up comedy, so I've almost died 1,200 <laughs> times. <laughs> but that's beside, the, that's beside the point. All right, let's take a break. We come back. More Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Send your questions over, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Listen to Faith Radio Live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app in your app store today. Welcome back to Guide Talk or Guys Who Talk. Great questions coming in. Keep yours coming. 877 877- Nine three three two four eight four. All right, I want to start with this passage. Uh, you don't have to look it up because I'm just going to read it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I appreciate Jeff Redorn and Tom Parrish reaching for their Bibles as I'm about to say this. <laughs> Mark 11, verse 12 says, On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. He was hungry. Now, I want to say to all of you who might be hungry because you're dieting or... You're hungry because you don't have food. And you're listening and you think, I'm, I'm in a f- place of food insecurity. I don't know if I'm going to have dinner tonight. Or you miss lunch, like me. I didn't have lunch. I'm starting to hallucinate already. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm so hungry. But having said that, the humanity of Jesus, the, uh, he was hungry. Of course. Yeah. I think we terribly underrate what Jesus really faced. You know, the Bible says he was tempted in everywhere we are. And it's really easy to say, well, yeah, but he was the son of God, or he was God in human flesh, so therefore it was trivial. No, no, no. It was very real. The temptations of Satan were very real. The physical hunger was very real. And I don't think we understand that, that Jesus literally went through everything we go through, not just on the cross for our sins, but he lived that life for 33 years, not just the three years of ministry, but that whole life, and had to go through everything that we've experienced, temptation, you know, a moment of fear, a moment of anger, whatever that may be, but he handled it in a righteous way. I wish I could always handle it that way, but that's exactly what Jesus did. Mm -hmm. So we see Jesus being tempted, just as we are, but was without sin. Uh, The three temptations of Satan, uh, after 40 days of fasting for Jesus, we see Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus when his sisters came to him and said, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And they were uh, very mournful, and Jesus feeling that. It says, Scripture says that he wept here. It says that he was hungry. In the garden, he was distraught to the point where he, it says he sweat blood. Um, you know, you, we get this picture that he was a man that felt the same types of emotions and pains that we do. When when they 
you know, when they scourged his back, he felt every oh, one of those blows. Absolutely. Just as you and I would feel each of those blows. Um, and yet he always took every thought captive. He always had his eyes on God the Father. And uh, and he never sinned. He always walked by perfect faith. I think the one thing as pastors, and I've been a pastor a long time, I think we have a tendency to be so theological that we're impractical. When somebody is facing a temptation in their life, like Jeff, you or I or Bill, when that temptation comes along, why aren't we teaching people, Jesus faced that same temptation and didn't sin, so why don't you at that moment cry out, Jesus, I'm facing the same thing. I need your mind. I need your heart. Help me at this moment. And I have found over the years as I've done more and more of that, and I don't do it all the time. I'd like to tell you I do it every time it happens, but I don't. But the more I do it, it's amazing how he distracts me from the temptation and moves me into something else. And so I know that until the day I die, I'm going to have to do that over and over and over because my goal is to not only know this Jesus, but to be like him. And the only way I can do that is to call on his name. Hmm. Well, I'm going to go back just to this verse, Mark 11:12. On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And I, for some reason, maybe because I missed... I didn't have any lunch, and I'm I'm hungry right now. Um, and it's brought to my attention the odd relationship that a lot of people have with food. Oh yeah, because either they don't get enough of it, or it was something that wasn't used properly when they were younger, or they've got some habits. And there's people that suffer from food insecurity. And you know, you look at Maslow's hierarchy, and unless your physical needs are met, it's real hard to to move up the the pyramid. Um, and start to ask the deeper questions about life. It's You're absolutely right. And what I like about what you said there is that when you discover that in your life, like, I want to eat all the time, or I like sweets all the time, or I like looking at the opposite sex all the time. I mean, let's be honest, guys, that's, that's a problem for most guys out there. Here's the reality. That's the very moment you need to call on Jesus. Amen. That's the very moment that he starts to fulfill you with new attitudes and behavior because I'm not going to get it on my own. You know, all I'm going to try to do is either, you know, take a different route or think about it later when nobody's looking. No, I want him in the conversation. And when he's in the conversation, he begins to change my heart. Now, my heart, I've discovered, takes a long time to change. <laughs> it doesn't happen real fast. And so there are some sins you know, I, I had a I had a friend who swore all the time, and he said, Tom, how do I quit swearing? And I said, you call upon the name of Jesus, you know, when this happens. I saw him a month later. I said, how's it going? He said, I still swear, but I don't swear as much. I said, well, what are you doing? He said, I keep trying to call on Jesus' name, and, and instead of swearing, and his wife then said, yeah, instead of swearing every other word, he's now swearing every third day. And I said, praise God. You're on the right path. Keep doing it, mm-hmm. and maybe someday that will be eliminated. So I think we got to get in our head that our sinfulness, because we call him the Lord Jesus, for some it goes away right at the moment. Praise God for that. But for many people, it's the beginning of a process, like you're talking about, Bill, where we start building on that and get stronger and stronger until no longer it dominates us. If we were to practice what Paul says to the Corinthians, to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ— he goes on to say that uh, in the spiritual battle uh, in in Ephesians, I believe it says, it says all these thoughts you are to take captive to to Christ. The thought itself is not sinful; it's what we do with that thought. Yeah. James talks about that the that 
that temptation comes and pierces our desire and then it leads to sin. Well, when that temptation comes, what do you do with it? Look, Paul says to know the schemes of the devil. The devil lies to us. How do we combat lies? With the truth. He torments us. So God says that we are soldiers for Christ to, to bear what the world has to bear with joyfulness, if you will. And, and he tempts us. What are the tools for temptation? Well, it's to take every thought captive and to flee. These are the tools, you know, just like, remember Joseph and Potiphar's wife, and she she was looking for something that she shouldn't have been looking for, and he tried to flee from that situation. Now, it cost him. Sometimes it costs you to live a holy life in this world, Uh, but those are the, the tools we have. And in the end, I find this truth to be true. As we were just talking about John 15, the more I fix my eyes on the Lord, the less attractive the world looks. Mm-hmm. The more I I trust in him with all my heart, the more I can look at the world and not conform to it. I, I think that's called the abiding principle, that the more we're connected to the Lord, the, 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 the more our lives will reflect all these passages of the New Testament. If your eyes are on the world all the time, then you are going to conform to the world. Right. But if they're on Christ, then maybe your life will conform a little bit more to him. And one of my sons who lives in Texas, um, he loves mechanical things and he loves how things go together. We were talking one day about this. This was a number of years ago, but he made a good point. He said, Dad, did you see the new tool that police have? Instead of shooting somebody, it sends out like a big rope that wraps around them real fast and ties them up. And I've seen the videos of that. And they do actually have a tool like really? that. Yeah, it actually works. It'll it'll spins around you and just wraps you up. Well, when I think about this passage that talks about, you know, taking everything, uh, in, you know, in obedience to Christ, I'm not going to destroy that temptation on my own. What I do is I find a way in Jesus' name to wrap that thing up and deliver it to the Lord Jesus Christ and let him deal with it, because if I try to destroy it on my own, I'm never going to win. Hmm. It'll suck me in further. Instead, you, I let the Lord do it. Your son is watching a lot of Spider-Man movies. He probably <laughs> is, yeah. yeah. I keep telling him, quit wearing that outfit. But he likes it so much. <laughs> All right. We are enjoying an extended version of Guide Talk today, which means we have another full hour. So please send over your questions, 877-933-2484. I bet you've had a question that have, has come up from a discussion you've had in your Bible study or something you heard at church or maybe you overheard somebody say something related to the Bible and it didn't make sense to you. And I bet if you send that question over, we can do our best to sort through it and figure out if there's an answer that we can give you. All you do is text it over. You can, of course, remain anonymous. And that number is 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Eight four. My power panel today is Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Redorn. So we will be back after a very short break to answer your questions. Again, 
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. It is the afternoon show. I am Bill Arnold. So, so far, it's all working out. Uh, guy talk is happening, or guys who talk, and they're doing a great job fielding your questions. They do their very best to answer whatever it is you send over. So, if you have a question uh, about God, the Bible, anything you like, send it over, 877-933-2484. have a lot of questions coming in, gentlemen, uh, which is a good thing because we have an extended version today. We're going to go a little bit later. So, let's get back to some of the great questions that are coming in uh, from listeners. Hebrews 10. Now, this verse has gotten a lot of attention. Starting in verse 26, it says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of of two or three witnesses, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was? So Scripture makes it very clear that those who don't believe, those who have not believed in the Lord and are saved, are the ones that will face the judgment of God. It's an unbeliever who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and treated it as unholy. They have continued sinning, meaning they are still dead in their sins. They are an unbeliever. So this is this passage is describing someone who has not believed and be saved. So this is not about a Christian. They deliberately keep on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth. In other words, they've heard the gospel, they've rejected it, and there's no sacrifice for sin left because they've rejected the only sacrifice that God has provided, that is his son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And they've rejected that one and only sacrifice. Good word, Jeff. And if you're a good student of the Bible, you look at verse 26. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, it doesn't say after we're saved. It's talking about we've heard the message and we reject it. And then we go right back to our way of life and continue to reject the word that comes to us. We're lost. I think for the Christian, you know, first of all, I tell Christians, never give up on your family no matter how lost they are, all right? You keep praying for them, you keep reaching out. But secondly, the issue is not, for me, for most people, what happened 40 years ago. It's where I stand with Jesus right now. And I don't mean that in a a salvation sense that, no, if I don't receive him today, I'm going to hell. No, I want to be right with Jesus at this very moment. And so long as the driving point of my heart is to walk with Jesus and to know him— I have nothing to fear. It's when I say, I can do it on my own. I don't need Jesus. I can, I'm can. i self-motivated. You know, I've got all kind of goodness in me. That's when we're in trouble. And people that do what verse 26 talks about have justified themselves. And that no fear, just before that, in 19, it says we can have confidence to enter the most holy place as believers by the blood of Christ. In other words, we've accepted that sacrifice. We've believed on him and have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And so we have confidence, verse 22, with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Wow, is that assurance of salvation or what? Yep. Nice job. All right, gentlemen. Uh, Hello, guys who talk. I love that. (laughs) Hello to you. Hello. Question, is the devil behind sickness and disease? 
Is he responsible for it? Or is sickness and disease here because we're in a fallen world? Thank you. First of all, I don't want to give the devil too much credit. Hmm. You know, the devil is our adversary, and he's a problem. But remember this. He is an opportunist. He takes advantage of what's already here. The Bible says that sin and and all of that came into the world through the rebellion of Adam and Eve, through the brokenness of this world, and the creation itself is groaning. So even the molecules in your body and that are moaning to come back and to be right the way the Lord intended it. So, no, the devil, I don't believe the devil can create it. But here's what I do believe the devil can do. He can take your sickness and get you angry at the Lord mm. or mm. blame others around you or want to make, you know, somebody a scapegoat for your own mistakes. You know, I had an uncle who smoked every day of his life and then he died of throat cancer. Well, whose fault was that in the end? You know, we, we know that you smoke that much, you're going to have, some are going to have problems. But the devil would like to say, see, Jesus doesn't really love you. That's why you're dying. And I had to reassure him, Jesus indeed loves you. But, you know, this is part of living in a broken world. Hmm. We do. I, I totally agree. We live in a Genesis 3 fallen world. The curse came to this world by uh, one man's sin, uh, Romans says. So we know, uh, Romans 8 says that we know that the whole creation has been groaning. You mentioned this word groaning, Tom, as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Uh, we live in a fallen world, and one to the great hope... The great promise of God is that one day he is going to make all things new and restore, if you will, the garden that he made where there was no sickness and pain and death. And that's going to happen again when he makes a new heaven and new earth, when he makes all things new. All right. Another question. Do Christians go to heaven immediately when they die? I think the answer is yes. Paul, there's a couple of passages that we that Paul describes that he says, I'm absent from the body and present with the Lord. He says elsewhere that it is better for me to depart and be with the Lord by far, but I press on to take hold of Christ Jesus who took hold of me or something like that. But it's that that the, the picture is, is that the moment you die, you are ushered into the presence of the Lord immediately, consciously, I might add, no soul sleep, uh, that's not a biblical idea that somehow we sleep or are unconscious and until resurrection day or something. It says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Well, and, the, and Jesus says, the moment you believe in me, you've passed from death to life. It's an immediate step that takes place. When I was dating my wife, it was amazing, guys, because I didn't care where we went. I didn't care if we went to a movie. I didn't care if we went to a football game. I just wanted to be with her. Hmm. When I think of heaven... And although the Bible talks about it in Revelation, I'm not that excited about the pearls, the emeralds, and the gold streets. I'm excited about the fact I'm going to be with Jesus, and I'm going to be in his presence. And when, you know, if you've had somebody in your life that you really are comfortable around, and you are so happy when you see them, multiply that by a billion, and you'll be about a third of the way there to what it's going to be like with Jesus. <laughs> mm-hmm. It won't matter what's going on as long as we're with him. Good word. When Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, he didn't add by the way, you'll be in a coma, right? Right. <laughs> no. Yeah. And we actually see conscious existence after death, right? So the yeah. whole discussion yeah. that happens in Luke 16 after that with Lazarus and Abraham and the, and the rich man. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, there's a conscious existence uh, that happens after death for both 
the righteous and the unrighteous, because both are going to face a judgment. Believers are going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, where we receive our rewards. Uh, Corinthians talks about this, the judgment seat of Christ. And unbelievers need to uh, appear before the great white throne judgment, which Scripture indicates is that the end of Christ's thousand-year millennial reign before God makes all things new. I think it's interesting because, Bill, you quoted that passage of Jesus on the cross with the thief. So often we think about, oh, what's paradise like? What does Jesus say there? Today you will be with me. That's all I need to hear. That's it. Yeah. Nice. I don't care where the place is. When I'm with Jesus, I'm in the right place. You said that well, Tom Parrish. All right. How does God judge the nations? Will I, as an American, be held responsible for the sins of our nation like abortion, even though I support pro-life causes? I said that with great passion. You I? did. Yeah. Well, it is. We we good should, question. as a church, we need to speak up more. What is it for evil to prosper, but for the righteous to say nothing? We should be salt and light in this world. Uh, we fight in this world. We contend in this world for truth. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world, but righteousness in the left hand and in the right. We should be proclaimers and defenders of God's ways, God's truth, God's gospel, and the person of, of Jesus Christ. With that said... I don't think God holds us accountable for anybody's sin except our own. Do you remember the story mm-hmm. of the the blind man? His disciples asked him, yeah. "Jesus, whose whose sin caused this man's blindness? His own or you know his parents?" And he said, "Neither, neither." That that, that was kind of a common understanding that somehow we we inherited or that we we live through the consequences of the sins of the generations before or whatever. And I don't think that's what this generational sin is about because Jesus specifically said it was neither. He was blind. Bad things happen in this world, not because of his sin, but he says, but to glorify me on this day. And then he heals him. So cool. Bad stuff happens in this world. Not every Christian is going to be a Billy Graham or a Franklin right. Graham that's going to get up and talk about these things and say it eloquently and, you know, challenge authorities and things like that. But what every Christian parent can do, and I teach parents to do this, is you've got to sit down with your kids often and say to them, you know it's the Lord's will that you don't have sex until you're married. He designed marriage for one man and one woman. If you go out and make a mistake and sin, that doesn't, you know, we don't dismiss the problem. You're just as guilty as the, the person you had the sin with. But that doesn't mean that the baby now is a problem. The baby is not. And you are going to financially support that woman or you're going to carry that baby and we're going to help you. And then if after that baby's born, if that young woman doesn't want that baby, we will adopt that baby because that baby is now part of our family. When you stand up for life, you help your kids understand there's a plan, and you're not going to just simply say, well, it's a shame what happened to Mary and Bill next door. No. How do we do this in our own life? Your sin is your sin, period. And by the way, if you are in Christ Jesus, your sin has been forgiven. Amen. Yep. All right. Is King David's throne in England? I heard that it is. You mean the physical throne? <laughs> where did he? Where did he hear that? I don't, I've, I've never, never heard that. Yeah, I've never I heard never that heard before. That either. We know that David was a, a king of Israel. Israel is, you know, on the on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. His he was the city of David. Is Jerusalem today, where the Temple Mount is? His son Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem, um, and and that's where David died. And you know. I guess the only thing about David's kingdom that I want to point out in 2 Samuel 7 is a great messianic pastor that God says that one of his descendants would always be on the on his throne and that would that would come from him and I, that was a prophecy for Christ and Christ's kingdom will last 
uh, forever. So I don't, I don't think England has anything to do with it. I don't yeah. know what the I would basis know anything the that would, from the Bible that would attach to yeah. that. Okay, it was his physical throne. That was the question. All right, let's move on. Do the Jews of today have a concept of heaven? Where do they think they go when they die? There's uh, a lot of different beliefs in Israel and in, in the in the Jewish world. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, a growing number of Jews that actually have believed in Jesus and have become Messianic Jews. Some call them completed Jews. I just call them Christians because they believed in Christ and are saved. Uh, there's a number of Orthodox Jews that have um, a, a very Old Testament view, uh, reject that Jesus is the Messiah. But then there's a lot of kind of both secular and semi-secular Jews that have were raised with the Jewish faith but don't take it seriously. I would argue that the majority of people, of Jewish people, uh, actually don't have an understanding of an afterlife, that they believe that when you're dead, uh, you're dead. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of one prominent Jew in America, Dennis Prager, uh, who I've listened to a lot. I believe he has an understanding of an afterlife and that one day he believes because he believes in the God of the Bible, not necessarily Jesus, that he will go to heaven one day. Yeah, Dennis, though, doesn't realize how close he is to Jesus. I oh. mean, he is right on the edge. And I'm hoping one day he stumbles over and lands on the other side. Great. I had a high school teacher that I dearly loved, and he meant a lot to me, who was Jewish. And I had communication with him until the day he died last year. He lived to be in his 90s. And I would share with him about Jesus over and over, and he kept coming back and saying, I'll be judged on whether I was good enough or not for the Lord. And I kept saying, it's not enough. You need Jesus. And the last conversation I had with him, I asked him to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, this was by text. He never texted me back. But then I found out he died, and I hope he did. Yeah, so he had a, a, a an understanding of an afterlife. He did. And I think that I think— but I think the majority opinion in Israel is that there actually is a when you're dead, you're dead kind of thing. And, and because Israel, remember, most, many Jews are secular Jews. Yeah. Um, they, they don't follow or don't believe in, in, uh, in the God of the Bible for mm-hmm. the most part. So. All right, we're going to take a break and we're going to spend extra time on Guy Talk today, which means I'm going to validate your parking just so you know. Thank you so much. In, in our free lot. Feeling better uh, about yeah. that. And then so send your questions over, 877-933-2484. Lots of great questions. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Welcome back to the show. It is uh, Guy Talk, or guys who talk and let me know. Great questions coming in. Uh, Here's one. When you pray for someone like a fairly new believer uh, and you want to strengthen their faith, should you be thinking of Jesus at that time or thinking of the things you wish for that person you care about? Well, I know that we all have desires in our heart, but I can't fulfill another person's desires out of my own being. The desires are fulfilled or the reality is fulfilled through Jesus. So I'm always calling upon the name of Jesus in those situations or when I pray with somebody to receive Jesus. 
that they would hear his voice and begin to follow him because I'm just a human being. Now, do I have good thoughts for them? Do I try to get them into Bible study? Do I try to get them into discipleship? Absolutely. But I also know that if they aren't intermotivated by the reality of Jesus, I'm not going to have any luck. And so I put the emphasis totally on Jesus and uh, do what I can, but it's on him. I like that. All right. Will we take communion in heaven honoring Jesus? Hmm. You know, the Bible does. I don't know of anything that talks about that in heaven, about communion. We're going to have a great banquet there. And feasting. Yeah, there's going to be a great banquet. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't say anything about communion that I'm aware of. So therefore, for me, it'd be a pure guess. Hmm. All right. Was Jesus the offspring through his mother? And if so, how? Was Joseph also in the lineage of David? Oh, this is a fascinating question, actually. Uh, the question is basically, um, what's the biology behind the, the, the Jesus' body? Mm-hmm. Did God somehow use Mary's uh, egg, Mary's DNA, uh, as, as basically the foundation? And was it then somehow conceived by God? Um, or the alternative, let's present the kind of the two cases, or did, uh, you know, uh, Scripture says that a body you prepared for me, that body was prepared by God in the womb of the virgin. And uh, and Mary was therefore just a surrogate mother, if you will, and that actually Jesus didn't use any of Mary's DNA. Um, there, <laughs> this, is, this is something I've looked at actually quite a bit over the years, and the more you look into it, the deeper the question actually gets. Uh, the bottom line is that man was sinful, right? So Adam and Eve sinned, and every single person that is a descendant of Adam and Eve, that pretty much includes everybody, is sinful. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. So where I've landed on this, and I want to hear what you think, Tom, is that God didn't use any of Mary's DNA because Jesus was the perfect man from heaven. In fact, he's called the Son of God. You know who else is called the Son of God in Scripture? Mm -hmm. Adam. Mm -hmm. Adam is called the Son of God. In other words, Adam made God. As a direct creative act of God, Adam was made. There was no DNA used to create Adam. And I think in the same way who Jesus, who's called the second man, the second Adam, also called the Son of God, he came from God, I think Jesus' body was formed in the womb of the virgin, and that would make Mary a, a surrogate mother, if you will. Still blessed, still everything is that Mary highly esteemed and all the things that Scripture said, but not specifically using her DNA. Now, I'm raising my hand. Jeff, yeah. you said, I think you meant God made Adam, because you said Adam made God. Oh, yes, correct. Yeah. So I just want to make sure that yeah, thank that, you. that got corrected. Yeah. I agree with you, Jeff. Um, I wish the scriptures were a little more emphatic in what it tells us. It doesn't. I know that uh, our, our friends, the Roman Catholics, have, have tried to work that out with the Immaculate Recep- Conception, and I understand where that comes from. But I've always struggled with Mary was a sinner, and she was a human being. You know, now Joseph was just the the dad, but he wasn't didn't contribute to it at all. Correct. So I have over the years I've come to lean more to what you're talking about that Mary became the host, but Jesus was uniquely fashioned in the womb, but truly human, truly human in the deepest sense of it, but without sin. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's another question. It has to do with whether Satan still has access to heaven's 
throne room. I'm wondering if his access ended after the death and victorious resurrection of Jesus. Well, Revelation says that he accuses the brethren before the throne day and night. Mm -hmm. Um, So that seems to be after the cross, even though he suffered a great defeat and was knocked down in some ways, defeated, if you will, in some ways at the cross. Uh, his, his, His defeat's really progressive because he really doesn't get completely defeated until the end of the thousand year reign when he's cast into the lake of fire. But I think we see him accusing the brethren. Um, It's interesting because in Revelation in chapter 12, he seems to be finally cast out of heaven. It's like, all right, you no longer have a place for you. And he's cast down to earth Mm. once and for all. And he he loses any access. So um, remember in Job, he, he had access. We see him coming before God. Where have you been? Satan, oh, roaming to and fro. Have you considered my servant Job? And uh, so he has. He still has access. Even after his fall, his original fall, that Isaiah 14 fall, I will raise my throne above that of the Most High God. And, and as such, his rebellion uh, was not successful and he was cast out of his position in heaven. He still has access to heaven in some way today. Satan doesn't fully understand he's defeated. <laughs> I think he thinks he's still got a shot at this. And so he's continually, you know, trying to push the envelope. As a a Christian pastor and counselor, I must admit for 45 years, I've been astounded at the number of people that come into my office and say, Pastor, I'm about to tell you, I've never told anybody else in my life. And I've heard that hundreds of times, and I'm not exaggerating. And they will say to me, I hear this inner voice that keeps telling me I'm worthless. Mm. I hear this inner voice that says, you'd be better off if you were dead. Now, This is the way Satan works. Now he can use his demons, however, whether he's actually there or the demons, I don't know. But the point is, the end game is always the same, because that's not what Jesus is going to say to you. Jesus is going to say, I made you for a purpose. You're created in my image. You are my ambassadors of the gospel by faith in me, where the devil's always going to put us down and always say, you're worthless. You may as well end it. So I think that for, if you're at home and you're listening and you hear those inner voices at night, it's usually around bedtime, a lot of people hear these. Cry out the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, cover me with your blood. Cover me with your name. And I will no longer listen to these voices because I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Absolutely. And the demons, um, I've watched them literally flee from people. Mm-hmm. So the, your comment about does he know or not, it's interesting in that Revelation 12 passage that I just mentioned. I'm going to read it. He says, but woe to the earth and to the sea because the devil has been thrown down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. There you go. Mm, so that, good. But that's at the end, right? He, he knows his time is short. And he's, he's trying to take as many with him as possible. And my attitude is not short enough. That's right. <laughs> yeah. All right, gentlemen, uh, do Muslims worship the same God? Surprisingly, I'm hearing this in a certain denomination. I get that they say they are from Ishmael. I was also told to judge nobody but love them. I think true love is telling people biblical truth. It is. We should always speak truth in love, always seasoned with grace, as it were. Uh, but yeah, this you don't have to spend too much time studying the God of Islam and studying the God of the Bible to realize they're, they're not the same God. Um, in fact, Islam proclaims about Christ— uh, that uh, he was not God's son. In fact, it's an abomination for in, in Islam to say that God has a son. Um, on the Dome of the Rock that, that stands on the old Temple Mount where the temple stood, one of the things written on the outside is that God has no son. 
Uh, Jesus did not die on a cross. He didn't rise from the dead. He's just simply a prophet, a, a teacher in, in Islam. So, yeah, the, it, it's clear that you, you don't have to spend too long studying the Bible and studying the Quran to understand that we're talking about two uh, different gods. And I agree with you because it's kind of like in, I don't know about you, Jeff, but I imagine your wife likes you to say things consistently. You can't say one thing in one time and something opposite the other. In the Bible— the Lord says that his goal toward us is mercy and grace, and he wants to implant faith, and that he is the God who loves us and gave his son to die for us and rose from the dead. Islam, and I've read the Quran, and I've read the Hadiths, and I've worked through that, people don't know if their sins are forgiven. There, there's no knowledge for a Muslim to know if they're forgiven or not or if they're going to go to heaven. The only guarantee to go to heaven among Islam is to die as a martyr in battle. And that's why you have so many of them that are willing to die in a battle situation, mm -hmm. because they don't know. Now, would the same God be talking out of both sides of his mouth to people? Absolutely not. So I can unequivocally say, no, it is not the same, and I will not recognize them as the same, nor will I teach them as the same. The, the questioner was right, though. There are more and more uh, saying that they are the same, kind of in kind of an ecumenical way that, hey, we just, there's many roads to God and, uh, you know, can't we all get along kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But no, speak the truth in love. All Which, right. We're going to take a little break, but the good news is we've got another 30 minutes of Guy Talk after the break. We're going to, because uh, you guys are working really hard today, and so we got to open the door and air this place out a little bit. And we'll be back in, in four minutes with your questions. We still have a whole bunch in the queue, so if you asked your question in this hour, we're going to get to it in the next 30 minutes, so don't go anywhere. And then uh, we'd still love to hear from you. If you've got a question, 877-933-2484. My power panel today is Jeff Verdorn and Pastor Tom Parrish. We will be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.